Well, hey, I'm so glad that you're with us. I'm Petey. I'm the senior pastor here at CPC. And if I've not had a chance to meet you, please come by and say hello after the service. We'd love to connect and, and learn your name, learn your story. Uh, if you would grab a Bible and turn to Galatians chapter five, as we continue our look at uh, the letter to the Galatians as a church, we're in Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 13. Grab a Bible, your, the Pew Bible, your own Bible, um, and we're going to be tracking through the text throughout the sermon. Um, it's so important that we as a church body look to scripture because there's so many clever things that we could say that won't stick with us nearly as, as, as well as the words of God and don't have the transformative power as God's word does. And so we want to look at scripture and take it seriously as a church. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So pause right there. It said you're called to be free. Have you ever heard of the phrase or the word FOMO? FOMO stands for fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. Officially in the English lexicon in the early 2000s, uh, it, it came to prominence at the time of social media's introduction into our world, but it is far more than just about social media. Social media. That FOMO, fear of missing out, is when we have that nagging and emotional anguish over, are we sure we're doing the right things? There are all these options in front of us. We can do so many things with our time, with our life, with our resources. Are we afraid that we're missing out because we chose this option instead of this option or this option or this option? We can get fear of missing out these days by scrolling our friends' Instagram accounts and seeing the warm places they're on vacation, even this morning, while it's still in the single digits here. Right, we can get fear of missing out sitting at the Cheesecake Factory and looking at a 75-page menu. Hey, am I making the right decision or did I miss it? Every once in a while, I, I feel like, like most of you, I have a relatively full, busy life. But every once in a while, there might come a Friday or a Saturday where everyone else in my family is completely busy and I have nothing to do. The world is my oyster. I can do whatever I want but I could do this or this or this or this. And by the time that I finally decide what to do, the day's already gone and I've just sat around and done nothing. I'm not sure if you've ever had that experience where freedom can be paralyzing. The amount of choices available to us in our lives can paralyze us, can cause anxiety and uncertainty. And so when scripture says you have been set free, what does it mean? What is our freedom for? Surely God did not set us free so that we could experience paralyzing uncertainty and anxiety. What is our freedom in Christ for? So one of the things that we see today uh, is that the Bible is incredibly clear about what our freedom in Christ is for. That the Spirit sets you free to put others first. The Spirit sets you free to put others first. That when we give our lives to Jesus, the Spirit works in us to move us beyond a me-first life to an others-first life. Let's see how it looks in Galatians chapter 5. Pick back up. Verse 13 again says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So let's pause there. So imagine that you had been raised Jewish at the time of 
the early church and that you had known for your entire life that the way to have a right relationship with God was to keep the commandments of the Old Testament, was to keep the the law, the rules and regulations found mostly in the first five books of the Bible that tell, tell the Jewish people, here's how to have a right relationship with God. And then imagine that you had come in contact with these Christians, they introduce you to Jesus and, you're, and you felt compelled to follow him and then you're told that you do not have to keep the law as you used to. You might not have fear of missing out, but you might have fear of missing God. How do I judge if my relationship with God is on the right track, if I no longer have these guardrails to show me that it's on the right track? We can judge all kinds of performance in our life, right? We can judge whether or not we're doing a good job at work because we get raises or promotions. We can judge whether or not we're doing a good job at school because we get good grades or scholarships. We can judge whether or not we're doing a good job at sports because we get awards or victories. We can judge whether or not we're doing a good job in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriages because of quality time and affection. But how do we judge if we're doing a good job of following Jesus? How do we judge if we're in right relationship with God, if we're making progress? The words of Galatians would show us that when we are no longer focused on indulging our flesh, which he's using that language to describe me first behavior, that that our first impulse is to always satisfy our own desires, but we're no longer desiring the flesh. We're no longer following the the, the prompts of a me first life, but we're instead growing in our capacity to love others. When we're growing in our capacity to put others first, that's a sign that we're on the right track in our relationship with God. In fact, this is what the apostle Paul says, that that was the whole point of the law in the first place. Pick back up verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. We'll pause there. So this is the very same thing that Jesus said. When Jesus had a group of people around him and they said, what is the most important commandment in the Old Testament? Meaning which commandment defines all the other commandments? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's another command that's just like it that's equal to it, that basically means the same thing. He quoted Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same word that the apostle, same words the apostle Paul uses here to describe what makes Christians Christians. Because again, if you had been told your whole life, we follow this Jewish law, it's what makes us, us. And if you're no longer following it, what makes us, us? What makes us who we are? What did Jesus tell his disciples? They're gathered around and he says, the world will know, the world will know you are my followers. The world will know that you know me based on one thing, how you love one another. That's how the world will know that you are my followers, how you love one another. Last week, Carrie preached on a text before this and and she, she did a great job of showing us how God breaks down the barriers to our belonging to his family so that no matter who we are or where we come from, God wants us to belong to his people and he makes a way himself for the barriers to be broken down and for us to be included in God's family. But once we're in the family... The way that we live towards each other tells those outside of the church everything they need to know about the God who we claim to worship. 
And so the whole point of the Jewish law was to create a people who knew God's love and showed God's love to each other so that the world would see God's love. The point of the law was to create a people of love in a me-centered world. So God teaches us to love each other within the body of Christ so that we practice it together and that we become others first people when we're outside in the world, wherever we go. That's what God intends for us. That's his purpose for us. But there's a problem. There's a problem and it's us, right? Just, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me, right? Here's what he says in verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Pause there. Whether it's the characters on the Dutton Ranch or us in our workplace or on the rink or on the field or in the classroom, when, when someone wrongs us, when we feel offended, when we feel like someone's done something against us or tried to put us in our place, our instinct is what? To try to put them in their place. Our instinct is to get revenge, maybe. Our instinct is to let them know just who we are and no one treats us that way. Our instinct is to stand up for ourselves. Here's the thing. Ancient cultures knew well that violence was always cyclical. One tribe or group would attack another tribe or group and they would they retaliate and they would retaliate and they would retaliate and violence was cyclical. Now, most of us would say, hold on a second. I'm not, I'm not a violent person. And I, I'm not disagreeing with that. Most of us are not violent people. But what we know is that we get caught in cycles of biting back. And when we get caught in cycles of biting back, biting back eventually what happens is we devour each other. It starts as an offhand comment that gets returned as an offhand comment. It ends up in an argument and in another argument. And then all of a sudden, you're not speaking. You can't stand when that person walks in the room, right? We bite back because it's our human nature. Because we're me first, we bite back. And bite back leads to cycles of devouring each other. And what we see Again, kind of the bad news is that me-first behavior can only lead to more me-first behavior. And that when we're caught in cycles of biting back, we cannot live as God intended. We cannot love our neighbors as ourselves because we are caught in cycles of me-first behavior. Where are you caught in a cycle of biting back or me-first behavior? But the story we see in scripture, the promises is that even though we get stuck in cycles of me first behavior, God does something to break us free. That God steps into our story that we may not be able to break ourselves out of this cycle, but someone from the outside can. So pick back up in the text in verse 16. The apostle Paul says, I, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do me first behavior. You're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, this is important. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You are not led by the law. You are led by the spirit. We'll stop there. Okay, 
I read this past week an article about the newest trend or a new trend in uh, work from home. And it's a trend called body doubling. Has anybody heard of body doubling? Okay, body doubling is when you're working from home by yourself, you've got your computer and you get another screen, whether it's your phone or another computer or a tablet, and you watch someone else work alongside of you. So whether it's on TikTok or Zoom or YouTube, you pull up video of someone else working and you just set it there beside you as you work on your computer. It, that's it. That's what it is. That's, that's all. That's it's crazy to me, but people are doing it because you get lonely and not more importantly, you don't just get lonely at home. You can't focus because it's just you and there's all these distractions. And so people are body doubling at their homes. Uh, they're watching someone work on TikTok and they're working alongside of them. Now, I would guess that most people would say body doubling is a fine way to govern your behavior. Like it's a fine way to keep you on track. But it's probably not a fine way to like career advancement. It's probably not the thing that you would go, yeah, that's what's going to really transform my work. That's going to lead to the next best thing, right? It's fine to guide behavior. It's not going to lead to transformation. And that's what happens as he contrasts the spirit and the law. The law was good. The law was good at guiding behavior. It was kind of like a body double. It helped keep them on the right track, but it could not lead to transformation. It could not lead to them becoming others' first people. The law did not have the power to break them or break us out of me first behavior. And that's because the law was still based on what they could do for themselves. And so nothing we can do for ourselves can break us out of me first behavior. Again, the bad news is we do not have it within us to become others first people. But the good news is this, the God of the universe looks at us and doesn't just go, wow, what selfish people. They can't even get their act together. No, God looks at us and he acts on our behalf. He sends his son into our selfish, broken, me first lives that we might know the transformation that's only possible from him. And so Jesus enters into our world. He enters into our stories, into our lives. He dies on the cross and rises from the grave to show that me first behavior, our selfishness has no power over us, but he himself has greater power to put our selfishness to death and to call us to new life, to set us free, to be others first people, not based on anything we've done, but based on what he has done for us. I love the words of theologian Scott McKnight who said that being able to love others is not the result of discipline. It is a miracle. It is a miracle. I don't have it within me to make myself an other's first person. But Jesus can. But Jesus does. I need miraculous freedom to love and serve others because I will continue just to serve myself and to do what's in my best interest. I need the power of Jesus within me to change my life. I wanna read from 1 John for just a moment. Uh, John was one of Jesus' earliest followers and, and I, 
It's not on the screens. I just want to read it. I want to proclaim this gospel truth over us as a church family because I think it powerfully summarizes both what Galatians 5 is saying and some of the things that Jesus taught his disciples. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. It is fulfilled in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. He has given us his spirit. See, God gives us his son whose death and resurrection is the only thing that can set us free from a cycle of me first behavior. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is the only thing that can unite us to the freedom that he has given us, the freedom to live others first. The Spirit sets you free to put others first. The Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, he gives us his own presence to remind us who we are so that everywhere you go, the Spirit reminds you, you are truly free. And so I wanna challenge you this week. I wanna challenge you for one moment, one person, where's one moment and one person who you need to show love towards where you might typically respond out of selfish me first behavior. Now, you're gonna know, you're gonna know when it happens. It might happen today, it might happen in the next hour, but you're gonna have a moment where you're like, yeah, I'm tempted to be selfish, but I need to be others first in this. I just want you to go, this week, who do you need to put first? Who do you need to put first? You're gonna, you're gonna hit a moment where your flesh where you wanna do what you want, where your flesh wants to be selfish, where you, want, where you naturally are tempted to be angry or irritated or frustrated, where you might be sarcastic or ignore the other person. And I wanna encourage you to be gracious instead, to be kind, to be attentive, to be helpful, to be encouraging beyond what's natural for you. Be others first. Maybe listen and pay attention to someone a little bit longer than you might normally do. I don't know about you, but it's so hard sometimes. I, I, I'm tempted to tune people out. I've got so much in my mind. I've got so many things I'm moving on to next. I mean, things, problems I've got to solve and, and, and all the stuff that's coming up and, and my mind can wander and I can tend to be selfish in conversations rather than thoughtful and attentive and generous. And so what would it look like for me to choose to put others first rather than putting me first as I'm having those conversations? And look, this is not about just more Christian activity. It's not just about getting busy doing more others first stuff. This is about becoming an others first person so that wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, the spirit is reminding you, you are set free in Christ to love them. You do not need to be me first because Christ is taking care of you. Be others first. The world is incredibly me-centered. The world we live in is incredibly me-centered. What would it look like for it to be flooded with more others first people? That as the church lives this way, we put the love of God on display for the world to see. 
Again, what does Jesus say? The world will know. The world will know you follow me. The world will know you're a Christian. The world will know you love me based on one thing. Based on your perfect theology? No. Based on having the right stance on such and such cultural issue? No. Based on how big your church is? No. He said, the world will know you're my disciples by one thing, by how you love one another. And then that love becomes a part of the story of your life, whether you're in church or out of church, that you become an other's first person, not based on your own strength, but based on the love of Christ and the presence of his spirit in your life wherever you go. I wanna invite the band to come up as we close and transition into a time of praying and singing together uh, as, as an act of worship. But uh, I realized something the other day, and that is uh, as of the beginning of March, as the calendar turned to March, uh, Minneapolis is the longest place I've lived after leaving my high school home. Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't say that for that reason, but I, I thank you. It's an honor to call Minneapolis home. And I, and I say that because it's now the longest place I've lived, the longest place we've lived as a family. Um, it does feel like home. And it's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly exciting because I'm grateful for 70 years of amazing ministry at CPC. I'm grateful for what God is doing here in this day. And I'm grateful for and excited for the future that God has for this church. I'm, I'm excited for the possibilities of what a group of people here in Edina and in the Southwest Metro might do if we really took the gospel seriously. If we realized that God had loved us so much that he truly set us free to love our neighbors it's how the early church grew throughout the world. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, to this region, and as the, the church grew and expanded, it was no secret because they loved their neighbors like no one in the world ever had. That's our calling. That's who we are. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and set free to love others. Amen.